I don't know whether I'm happy or sad. It's difficult to say, but there is one thing I do know. You can persuade yourself to be either happy or sad. It just depends on how you choose to see things. That is one quote from the book I'm going to be reviewing today, If Cats Disappeared from the World. Um, I decided to read this book because it is another translated book. And after reading Before the Coffee Gets Cold, I was like, I just like craved another translated book. And I just was like, I, I remember I went to Barnes and Nobles and I was like, I need to find another translated book to like fulfill this, like scratch this itch that I'm having. And I found this book, it was right next to Before the Coffee Gets Cold. I wasn't really particularly looking for like another book translated from Japanese. I just wanted to read another book that was translated. But because this book was right next to Before the Coffee Gets Cold and it looked similar, had a similar vibe, you know, it was a small book. I was like, maybe this is it. If Cats disappeared from the world, um, maybe this is one for me. And then when I read the synopsis, I was like, okay, I'm definitely kind of intrigued because it, it gave a similar vibe to Before the Coffee Gets Cold. So this book is about a dying man who makes a deal with the devil. And in this deal, it's basically saying like, in exchange for making something disappear from the world, he gets to live one extra day. And I don't really wanna talk about like what the things are that he decides to give up in exchange for an extra day um, in the non-spoiler section, but I will give like one, like the first one. So the first thing that the devil makes disappear from the world is uh, phones. And at first I was kind of confused when about this concept because I was like, so his phone like just disappears, like he just loses things. Like I thought it was like, like little individual objects in his room or in his house that'll be disappearing. But actually it's like, if he makes phones disappear from the world, everybody, like nobody has a phone, which made it a little bit more interesting for me. Um, and it just talks about like how life is different without that one thing. And if it was worth it to him to give up that thing in exchange for an extra day of living because the devil comes to him is like you're gonna die tomorrow so this is the deal i've got for you if you want to live another day and it's basically him like kind of doing things that he never thought to do when he thought he had all the time in the world uh for instance he makes this list in the beginning where he talks about like basically a bucket list um and he tries to figure out like what he wants to do with the rest of his time on earth but honestly I hate to say it, before I get to the non-spoiler section, I, this book put me in a reading slump, like, it just, like, I don't know, it didn't draw me in right away in the way that Before the Coffee Gets Cold did, um, and I mean, that book didn't really draw me in either, it wasn't immediately like, oh my god, I'm hooked, it was just, like, before I knew it, at least, I mean, it didn't take long, like, maybe 15 pages, right, but this book, this book took a long time. Because I honestly, I had the same expectations that I had had for Before the Coffee Gets Cold, and it totally did not fulfill those, which is something I have to stop doing, like pitting up other books against each other. Kind of like when I did with Memphis, when I was like, oh, the concept is similar to A Vanishing Half, and A Vanishing Half is better, so Memphis is not as good. But that also feels kind of like inevitable. Like I remember one time when I was taking a class about publishing, and someone was like, do not think you can write the next Harry Potter um, because everyone will compare your book, your story to Harry Potter and Harry Potter is beloved by so many. So it's kind of hard to get that published. So, I mean, like, I feel like comparisons are inevitable. And honestly, the writing at the beginning felt like very juvenile. Like it reminded me 
of writing that I read in my like intro creative writing class even my own writing in my intro creative writing class I'm honestly scared to read my first ever like story that I had ever written like beginning to end in college like I do not want to see that um I remember my teacher she liked it I don't know I'm scared to read it but anyway it just felt like like it didn't flow right or it felt like the the what's it called the points they were trying to make it was like okay like fake deep like okay that's so deep oh my gosh like wow like you know what I mean like when you're when you're new to something you think you're so like brilliant at it and you're like oh my god and I'm not sure if this is like has to do with like the translation aspect of it like um like maybe the story itself in Japanese in the original version doesn't suffer from this but the translated version felt kind of like stilted like kind of like stiff um and it felt kind of flat not very personable and it, it just like i didn't really feel very connected to the main character as well like he wasn't very sympathetic to me but i'm saying all that to say the writing did get better towards the end of the book uh i would say like the last 50 pages it was like i was really into it um but it was a struggle to get there and it took me <laughs> took me a long time obviously from the gap between my book reviews from the last book review which was when it was at the beginning of September and it's like October now. Um, <laughs> actually, no, it was like at the end of August. See, look what this book did to me. So because of all that, I think I have to rate this book a four out of 10. Is that our lowest one? It's gotta be. I was actually gonna give it a three out of 10. Like when I was almost done the book, I was like, oh, this book is gonna get three out of 10. But then the book started getting like actually kind of good at the end. So I was like four. And I was like even inching towards five too, but I was like, no, four is what we, four that we got. Another thing before we get to the spoiler section of the review, I didn't really like how the devil was portrayed in this book at first, in the beginning. In the beginning, I was a hater for real. I was a hater. I was like, this, this is so corny. Like the devil wears like, um, it, well, first of all, the devil looks exactly like the main character, is what they say, and he wears Hawaiian shirts and shorts and bright colors and whatever, and it kind of remi reminded me of, um, if you've ever been to Trader Joe's, the managers, they dress like they wear Hawaiian shirts, that's their uniform, um, and it was like, this is like a Trader Joe's manager? Like, what is this? <laughs> Why is the devil a Trader Joe's manager? Um, <laughs> but still, this book somehow managed to, um leave me with like a sense of calm like it kind of inched its way into my heart wormed its way in there so I kind of feel like you know it was rough to get there but the story does get better at the end and it's the kind of story that sticks with you a little bit a while after you finish like it gives you things to think about kind of in the same way that before the coffee gets cold does um so sometimes I'm not really sure if the shortcomings of this book have to do with the translation process or if it's just something that was there originally in the original telling of the story yeah, so I'm going to start with the spoiler section of the review now. If you have not read it, I would come back after you do re read it. Or if you're like, Sydney, why the hell would I read this book after you just gave it a 4 out of 10? Then stick around and listen to hear what I have to say about the things that happened in the book. Like, And then maybe it'll actually convince you to read it because I <laughs> did like some parts of it. Like, Just because I gave it a 4 out of 10 doesn't mean there isn't good parts of it. I feel like I can be kind of like a, a tough critic, even on myself. Like, I'm just like, I don't know. I have high standards. I've read a lot of things. So let's start by talking about the things that our main character gets rid of in order to live an extra day. So he gets rid of phones, he gets rid of movies, and he gets rid of clocks. Um, I kind of felt like each thing had, like, he got rid of it, right? And from the world. 
and then he learned something when he got rid of it but he also gave up something like he he learned you know what i mean like he <laughs> he learned something from it but then he also realized what was missing from his life as a result of giving that thing up so with phones it feels like he learned to be more present um he learned to like enjoy the little things that he wouldn't have noticed if he was staring at his phone um but he kind of gave up connection because in this section it talks about his ex-girlfriend which he goes to meet um i guess was his first love and he he arrives for the date right but he's a whole hour early but he doesn't know that and so he's like panicking he's like oh my god like she stood me up or she's not coming or maybe something happened to her but he can't call her to figure out what happened so he's just like panicking basically so he loses that like instantaneous connection and then also their whole relationship is built off of telephone calls because when they talk in person like he becomes like shy and mute and doesn't know what to say which honestly kind of relatable a little bit not all the way but yeah so he loses that that aspect of connection that that works best for him at least like he's able to be his true more open at least through that form of connection and then with movies he learns to appreciate human emotions empathy um and the role that it had in his life in i guess like portraying the things the emotions that you experience you know when you watch a movie and you just feel so like touched or you can just like really empathize with the character um even if you haven't had that exact experience you can empathize with their 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 pain their sadness their love their laughter like you can empathize with those things and you feel a sense of like human connection and he learns to appreciate that more but he gives up that emotional companion like movies were an emotional companion for him and then with clocks the last thing he gives up he learns that time is a human construct so basically like time really doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's 2 p.m or 3 p.m really um that's something that humans made up and like hyper fixating on what's coming next like what's after this and what's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing is so unhealthy and stressful but then at the same vein, he gives up certainty. Like, he'll wake up and he'll be like, it's morning. <laughs> He's like, but what time in the morning? Is it almost lunchtime or is it early morning? I don't know. It's just morning. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then he stops giving up things when the devil tells him that to live an extra day, you need to give up cats. Cats got to disappear from the world, which is obviously the, the title of the book. But the main character is unable to give up cats. He... I, when I read this, I was like, oh, so if he gave up cats, he'd be giving up companionship because um, his cat was basically his companion. And he just, he found himself like he couldn't do it. And so I was reading this and I was like, what is this book actually about though? Okay, so it's about a dying man who gives up things, makes things disappear from the world in order to live an extra day, right? Like, but really, like, what is it about? And I felt like, when I thought about it for a little bit, I felt like this book is about processing death which is his own and also his mother's who dies, I think, four years earlier. Um, and then thinking about regrets. So looking back at your life and thinking about what could have been, what should have been, and what would have been. And then also living in the moment, realizing that the next moment is not guaranteed and to just like savor this one. 
And in that same vein, I feel like this book is also about like treasuring the little gifts that life gives you. So um, the, mo the, the feeling of connection you feel when you watch a good movie or when your cat comes and sits in your lap and purrs and all and the names of all the different types of flowers that there are in the world, like just treasuring those little gifts, those little moments of joy in life. But above all, I feel like this book is about healing. Um, he has a tumultuous relationship with his father. He has a lot of just like unresolved things in his life where he didn't either didn't have the courage or didn't have the, I don't know, whatever to, to really act how he wanted to act without filtering himself, which is something that I definitely relate to. I feel like a lot of the time I filter my reactions to fit what I think people would want me to do instead of just doing like what I want, which is something I'm not, I'm working on. I'm getting better at like just truly like being yourself has so many layers. Like it's more than just like doing the things you like or um, dressing how you want. It is so, it truly is like really multifaceted. And his relationship with his father was so kind of interesting to me because it goes through, the book goes through, um, the scene where his mother is dying, right? And, like, his mother is literally dying before his eyes and he's like, where is dad? Like, he should be here. And his mother's like, oh, he's fixing my watch. Um, and the son, the main character, he's like, well, what the hell is he doing fixing the damn watch? Like, you're literally dying. He should be right here. Like, what? who cares about that watch? Who cares about the watch? He needs to be here. And I think that was really the breaking point in their relationship. I think before that, it was, like, still tense. But that particular moment where it felt like his father valued something else over being with his mother in her final moments more was the main character's, like, final straw with his father. And his mother, like, simply responded by saying, like, people show love in different ways, which... It's so interesting because, like, him fixing her watch was his way of showing love for her. But I can see also where the main character's coming from, where it's like, that watch will always be here, but his mother will not. Anyway, <laughs> something that was really interesting to me in this book, I want to talk about Tom. So Tom is a man that he becomes friends with when he's on a trip to Argentina with his girlfriend, and Tom, like, they have a ball, like, they hang out together every night, they go on little mini trips, um, they're having a great time, and then all of a sudden, like, they're waiting for him for their usual hangout, and Tom just, like, is dead, like, Tom just is, he dies, not at the hangout, but, like, he just doesn't show up, and then they're like, where's Tom, and then they're like, oh, Tom is dead, basically, and it was, it was actually the first moment in the book where I was, like, taking it back, I was like, <gasps> Like, oh my god, what the heck? He's dead? And I think from that point on, when Tom, like, died, is when I became more invested in the book. It just became more, like, interesting to me overall. And especially when Tom, Tom was an interesting character because he says things like, Tom, first of all, was also Japanese, but they called him Tom. But he says some really interesting things. He says at one point, there are many cruel things in the world, but there are also just as many beautiful things. And that honestly was a really beautiful quote where it felt like, like, there is a lot of horrific things in the world, especially when we're thinking about the war going on in Ukraine, the war going on um, between Hamas and Israel. Like, there are a lot of horrific things happening in the world right now. But then 
and this is not to downplay how horrific these things are, but it's just so interesting how such beautiful things can coexist in the same moment as such horrific things. You know, like a baby is being born right now at the same time that, you know, bombs are dropping in other parts of the world. Or um, a person is getting cured from cancer, like is finally ringing the cancer-free bell in the same breath that someone else has been murdered. Not to be bleak, but <laughs> it is just so, there's like the dichotomy of those two things coexisting at the same moment is just so, such an interesting part of the world. But anyway... So as I said earlier, this book does feel like it's a lot about processing death. Um, and Tom's death is the first instance that we really, really see this at play in the book. Where, especially this quote, um, <laughs> I'm just be like, especially this quote on page 55. Like, <laughs> college has really got me. It's really got me good. Like, the hell? The hell am I telling you the page number for? Like, are you going to go to page 55? Maybe if you want. But I'll just read it to you so you don't need to go to page 55. <laughs> Um, actually, I lied. It's on page 54, if you were going to page 54. So in the book, it says, Tom suddenly disappeared. He hadn't turned up at the hotel after heading out for a day of sightseeing. That night, we sipped our wine and waited for him in our usual spot, but he never showed. The next day, we found out that Tom was dead. He had taken a trip to the border between Argentina and Chile to see the historical statue of Christ when the bus he was on fell off a cliff. It was like a dream. It didn't seem real. I could still see Tom joining us in the dining room, bottle of wine in hand, saying, come on, time for a drink. But now Tom wasn't coming back. We spent the rest of the trip in shock. On our last day in Buenos Aires, we visited Igazu Falls, which was 30 minutes from the airport. After two hours of hiking, we reached a narrow crack in the Earth's surface that goes by the name of Devil's Throat. We'd seen this place in the Hong Kong film that we were obsessed with at the time. Devil's Throat sits at the top of the largest waterfall in the world, Water rushed over the edge with an unimaginable force. The magnificence and scale of that place gave me a sense of the sheer violence nature is capable of. Then I noticed that my girlfriend was crying next to me, but I couldn't hear her. No matter how loudly she sobbed, her voice was drowned out by the deafening sound of the falls. It was then that it hit me, the undeniable, tangible feeling that someone I knew had died, that I'd lost someone I'd grown close to. Tom was dead and we would never see him again. No more talking late into the night, drinking red wine, or enjoying meals together. It was the first time the finality of death had really hit home for either of us, and so she started to cry there in that place. A place where there was no denying just how powerless and utterly helpless we human beings are. I didn't know what to say. There was nothing I could do to console her. All I could do was stare blankly at the white, foamy water as it cascaded down the falls and was swallowed up by a great hole in the earth. So... It was really interesting to think about that quote, to read that quote, and just realize, like, death is so abrupt. Even when it's not abrupt, it's still abrupt. Um, because it's like one moment you're here and the next moment you're not. Anyway, moving on from that bleak... Actually, we are moving on from that bleak moment. However, we're kind of staying in it a little bit. Um, this book also touches a lot on relationships ending particularly the relationship with his girlfriend ending he tries to figure out he's like well why did our relationship end and then the girlfriend is like well like what's my favorite color basically she's like what's my favorite color and he's like blue and he's she's like no it's red <laughs> like they keep it she's like what's my favorite food and he's like um and she's like it's waffles oh my god 
the, none of those answers are correct, but those are just like, that was the dynamic that was going on there. And I was like, oh my God, like, he's like, why did we break up? And she's like, you don't, un- you never listen to me. You don't know me, <laughs> basically. But really, she says she thinks that their relationship ended. The beginning of the end was that trip to Argentina after Tom had died. Like, they just felt like the relationship was just over. And the main character kind of wishes that on that flight back when they didn't talk to each other after Tom's death, when they were just in such shock, that they had talked through their feelings. But because, like I said earlier, he was only good at talking through his feelings over the phone, he wished that they had had, like, cell phones, I guess even, like, texts to talk about their feelings um, with that little barrier. You know, because a telephone, communicating over a phone is kind of like a barrier. You don't see body language all the time. Um... It feels like you can be a little bit more open. At least some people probably feel like you can be a little bit more open with that barrier of the telephone. So when the main character is reminiscing on their relationship, there is this one quote that is so sad. And it kind of kind of goes into what I was talking about with regrets, which I'm going to come back to later too. But it's so it's so interesting to think about regrets in this way. So the book says, we didn't even have to talk about anything special. Just talking would have been enough to show that we were there for each other and that we cared. It would have been nice to have taken the time to listen to what was going on in the other one's head, to understand each other's feelings, if only. When we parted ways at the station near her house, she gave me a faint smile as we said our goodbyes. I still remember that smile. It was embedded in my memory and implanted somewhere deep in my heart. It was like an old football injury that ached on rainy days. But I guess that's not unusual. I must have a whole collection of small injuries tucked somewhere away in the recesses of my mind. I suppose those are what some people call regrets. Oh my gosh, thinking about regrets as a collection of small injuries, that is so interesting. You know, like a, a like um an old injury that comes back to remind you all the time. Just when you like forget about it, your knee starts to hurt or your your back starts to hurt, your neck, you get a crick in your neck. Like just when you feel like you're totally healed, something will remind you that that injury will always be with you. Another concept that I thought was interesting was thinking about what the dead leave behind. There's a lot of death in this book. Ugh, but I mean, that book is about a man that's dying. Like, duh, it's gonna be a lot of death. But, but honestly, there's a lot more death than I thought. Like, it's not just his death. It's his, it's his death and his mother's death and Tom's death and the cat's death, his first cat's death. Like, it's like, damn, there's so much death in this book. Anyway, um, so because there's so much death in this book, it made me think about, like, what do the dead leave behind? And it feels like the answer that this book gives is that the dead leave behind nothing, but they also leave everything behind. Um, and there's two quotes to explain what I mean by that. So first, I want to read a quote that explains, like, why I say that this book tells us that the dead leave nothing behind. As I gazed at the blank screen, I remembered a photograph I once saw. It was a picture of the inside of a movie theater. The photo was taken from the projection room and showed the seats in the screen. The photograph had captured one entire film and was taken by opening the shutter at the beginning of the film and then not closing it again until the film ended. In other words, the photograph recorded an entire two-hour-long film. The end result of absorbing the light from every scene in the movie was that the screen in the photo showed nothing but a white rectangle. I suppose you could say that my life is like that photograph. A movie that shows my whole life would include both comedy and tragedy, 
all the joy, anger, and sorrow I've been through, the result of which would be nothing more than a blank screen. There's nothing there, nothing left, only an empty space. Because once you die, you, there is nothing left of those moments, of those comedy, of those tragedy, not thinking about things like photographs and stuff. Like there's, there's nothing left, you know, you're just, you're gone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not to be bleak, not to, not to sound scary, but like, it's like you leave nothing behind. Like you leave, you're, you, you leave. So there's nothing left. You know what I'm saying? Like when I'm, when I'm saying you leave nothing behind, I'm really talking about like, I guess your soul is what I'm thinking about. But then in that same vein, when I talked about leaving everything behind, like when you die, you leave everything behind. I am thinking about the letter that his mother left him, where she talks about all of the things that she loves about her son. All Well, she says all the things that make her son so wonderful. And so when I was reading that, it reminded me that like, okay, so you leave nothing behind, nothing of yourself, like nothing of your soul, but you leave everything behind in the sense that you are leaving all these people that have memories of you behind. And I feel like the quote that really, really encapsulate this is when he's talking about all of his memories of his mother. So the quote is, my mother rubbing my back to comfort me whenever I was sick, the way she held me in her arms after I got lost once at an amusement park, the time I wanted the same kind of brightly colored lunchbox as all the other kids in my class, and my mother ran around town all day long just to find the right one. How whenever I fidgeted too much in my sleep and kicked off the covers, she'd always come to tuck me in again. The fact that she always bought me new clothes whenever I needed them, yet she rarely bought anything new for herself. How she made the best omelets that I could never eat enough of, and when I'd finished mine and was still hungry, she'd always give me a piece of hers. The time I gave her a gift certificate for a free massage, but she never used it because she thought it was too special of a treat and didn't want to spoil herself. When she bought a piano so that she could play my favorite songs for me, but it turned out she wasn't very good and always played the wrong notes. My mother. I wondered, did she have any time to herself? Did she have any hobbies of her own? Were there things she wanted to do, hopes and dreams she held on to? I always wanted to thank her properly for all she'd done, but never found the words. I never even brought her flowers because it seemed like a cheesy gesture at the time. Why couldn't I at least have done something small for her? Why was this simple action so hard for me? Why did it take me this long to understand? So, when you die, you leave behind all these memories, all the the memories of omelets, especially that part where he would eat all his omelet and then she was still hungry and she would give him a piece of hers like damn it's so sad like oh my gosh like that's what you leave behind when you die like those moments that the other person remembers of you is what you leave behind so you leave behind nothing but you also leave behind everything and going back to the regrets part that i talked about earlier for a little bit he also just talked about the main character all the regrets that he had left after his mother had died but then at the end he has some sort of epiphany that was honestly so beautiful this is what i meant when i was saying like the end of the book sticks with you the end of the book it's so much better what i say it's worth it to go through the beginning like i really don't know but am i glad that i did it yes so do with that what you will but 
he realizes, he says, over the last few days, I've come to realize that there's a certain beauty in those regrets. They're proof of having lived. I'm done with making things disappear from the world. Maybe I'll regret my decision when the moment comes, but that's okay. No matter how you slice it, life is full of regrets anyway. I was never able to be myself completely or live my life exactly how I wanted to, and I'm not even sure if I ever figured out what exactly being myself and living out my dreams really meant. So I guess I'm going to die with all those failures and regrets, all those unfulfilled dreams, all the people I've never met, all the things I've never tasted, and all the places I've never been. I'm taking all of that with me to my grave, and I'm okay with that. In the end, I'm satisfied with who I am and the life I've lived. I'm just happy to have been here at all. Which was like, oh my god, uh, that was so profound for what? Like, <laughs> like this is crazy. Like, you, if, the way the book started to the way the book ended was like, what? where was this energy in the beginning? Like, what the heck? This is so heartbreaking. Especially the part where when he the devil is like okay we're gonna make cats disappear and the guy's like no like please no not the cats and the devil's like do you want to live an extra day or not and he's like i don't know and let me think about it and so like the devil gives him time to think about it and then he's like talking to his cat and thinking about it and then he's like what does he say that the cat says he says the cat says for you sir i would gladly disappear and i was like oh my god <sighs> like pets oh pets are just we don't deserve them like what would I do without my dog like I think that part hit for me so hard because I was thinking about my dog like would I live would I give up him just to live an extra day like I absolutely would not like <laughs> which sounds like it sounds for okay so four years ago before I got my dog I would have been like that's ridiculous it's just a dog like to be completely honest with you I'd never had a dog before I didn't understand the connection I didn't get it but now I do I get it um and I really really don't think I would give up my dog just to live like an extra day because I think the quality of the day I could have with him there is so much better than that last day without him because I would just spend the whole time like being like oh I wish he were here yeah so that one made my heart hurt and then the fact that the pet would be like like imagining my dog being like for you I would gladly disappear oh my god like that could make me cry for real like that could make me cry yeah, and then the book also kind of is wrapping up at this point, right? And the devil is like, when he tells the devil and is like, I am not going to make the cats disappear, sorry, like, I'm just going to die. He's the devil's like, what the heck? But then he also reveals, like, why his appearance is the way it is. So when the devil is explaining this, he says, In other words, I'm the person you could have been. I'm the side of yourself that you've never shown to the world. You know, the cheerful but shallow, wearing flashy clothes, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, without worrying about what other people would think, saying whatever comes to mind, no matter how appropriate. I'm made up of all those little regrets in your life. Like, what if, whenever you reached a fork in the road of life, you'd gone the other way? What would have happened? Who would you have become? That's what the devil is all about. I'm what you wanted to become but couldn't. I'm both the closest and the furthest thing from who you are. Which, I mean, I guess that's an interesting interpretation of the devil. I don't know. It was interesting to read about, like, a person that is, or something that is the person you've become, or you would have become, if you had taken the opposite road. Which, honestly, I, <laughs> it was interesting to me because I was like, bro, bro, 
You did not need to say all that because I I think about the other road, the other option, the fork of the road of my life a lot. I think about what if I had become a teacher. I think about what if I had done sports in college. Like, who would that version of myself have looked like? Um, and really, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter because that's not the version of myself that I want to be, obviously, because I made the opposite choice. And like the main character, I feel kind of satisfied with this version of myself. I don't I don't wish that I was that other version of myself, but I do wonder about her. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, <laughs> so this book ends with the main character writing a letter to his father. And this is really like the first time where he allows himself to be completely honest and raw in a way that he never has been before. And it honestly felt like the perfect way to end the book. Like we know he's dying. We know he's about to die. Um, but before he does, he allows himself to be his true self, to express everything that he wanted to express, was, but was something was holding him back from expressing without like hesitation, without reservation. And sometimes I do feel like I wish I could live my life like that like I wish I could just say exactly what I'm feeling all the time I wish I could just say like I don't know how to describe it like not like whatever I want but like I wish I wish I could just live like a hundred percent transparent like honest all the time like not like I'm lying all the time but I'm not I'm not showing you all of myself because I think for me it's hard to be because because I think for me like doing that requires a sense of vulnerability that I'm not comfortable with yet um I kind of like the type of person likes to hold their cards to themselves and be like mm, I don't want to show you all of that side of me uh which I talked about in my episode uh I'm embarrassed of my hobbies or I think that's what it was what I called it um yeah so it is kind of difficult for me to live like that but I like I yearn I wish I want to live like that so badly and it really does feel a lot easier to live like that around people that I haven't I haven't like known me for a long time which I'm not sure why that's why that is the way it is but it's true and I feel like him doing that at the moment before he dies is kind of like not to say be mean but it's kind of like a cop out or I feel like it's only possible in those moments when you know you won't be around to deal with the consequences or the fallout from doing that um because when you know that you are most likely going to live to see the next day dealing with people's reactions or um just like living with all of that after the fact is so intimidating but in general this book my final thoughts on this book it it made its way into my heart even though like it was literally like pulling teeth just to finish this book like it was rough it was rough out there um and I'm not sure if it was like like I said earlier like the translation process that did this because honestly genuinely at the end I can say that it was like um a pleasant story an interesting story with some really nice like life uh what is that like you not lessons but like uh, I don't know <laughs> I can't think straight right now but like you know thinking about life and the things that uh, how life is difficult um and I'm you know sometimes you realize that it's not the book like sometimes it's not the book that is the problem sometimes it's just you like sometimes maybe it's just me maybe this book would be a brilliant book for you maybe the place I'm at right now and my schedule just makes this book not the book for me at the moment um at least to give it a higher rating but i can say there are some good 
good aspects of this book. Anyway, that's the end of this week's episode. I am working on doing more book reviews, but like I said, doing more book reviews requires reading more books, which I have to find the time to do. And it's not that I'm not reading books, but it's just so easy to read a romance novel, like 20 pages, 50 pages of a no, no of a romance novel before I go to bed rather than like something that's contemplating life and it's like I'm too tired for this I'm going to sleep like because with the romance novel you're like I know exactly what's gonna happen next like <laughs> and then with the like deep life book you're like oh my god uh, what is the meaning of life and my dog what if my what if I had to give up my dog to live an extra day like oh uh, like sometimes I just can't handle that after a day of work like I really just want to relax in my bed and eat a snack and uh listen to some very handsome man proclaim his love for a girl like that's something that's all I want and you're like well just review those books then no I will not review those books because those books do not need to be reviewed like if I had a good time I'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10 <laughs> um even if the book is like trash and it's just like a copycat of another book that has the same trope like I'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10 because I had a great time like so I'm not gonna <laughs> review those books Anyway, um, as always, don't forget to leave a review if you enjoyed the podcast so far. Um, and also make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Jumble Podcast. Also, also, um, the website is still a thing, bit.ly slash jumblepod. Yeah, check that out if you want. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> I am going to go draw some sunflowers because that's all I've been thinking about lately is drawing sunflowers. So I'm going to go do that. Make sure you guys are staying warm. It's getting colder and colder every day unless you live somewhere like Florida or California. But it's, it's getting colder there too, but just like not horribly cold like it is everywhere else. Anyway, <laughs> stay warm guys wherever you are. <laughs>